0: Be seated, please.
1: As we are about to start a a new season, when the school year starts, we tend to think of it as fall, but as you go outside, you are reminded it is still summer. And it is still hot, and at times it has become oppressively hot. The mornings are just beautiful, though, to get up and watch the sunrise, to see, to sit on. Uh, Yesterday morning, I sat on the back porch and just read for a while, and while you wake up and you're used to opening the, the door and that outside breeze has a little briskness to it, I got to start off at 80 degrees yesterday, sitting on the back porch, and it was still enjoyable, listening to the birds and watching and seeing the little hummingbird come and, and even listening to the, the locusts or whatever you want, the cicadas, as they sing their song. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. And we want everybody, part of, part of Austin Avenue, part of our ministry, is helping you take that next step in your faith. And we want to encourage you uh, as you begin to get that new pattern of life coming up with school starting and your family getting back in a rhythm We want to encourage you to include in that rhythm, include in that passage, uh, being a part of our Sunday morning Bible study and Sunday morning worship. Just make that a part of your family's process of coming and, and being a part with us and getting better acquainted with the body. To help you do that, I want to ask you to go ahead and start marking on your calendar, no excuses, saying, we didn't know it was coming, October the 1st. October the 1st is going to be our next, is going to be this year's Worship Without Walls. Uh, that Sunday morning, we'll be meeting out at the soccer fields. We'll do it as we've done before. There'll be intergenerational games. We'll have an intergenerational worship time that takes place. Just plan on making that a part of your, uh, of your family's activities and, and something to look forward to. Every year, it's one of the highlights for me, coming and being a part with us uh, that Sunday morning, that first Sunday morning in October. And so just plan on making that, putting that on your calendar and being here with us. If you missed last Wednesday night, you missed an absolute tree. We had a young man that some of us don't know as well as we would like. And he stood up and he gave our devotionals, his name's Noah, and he just did outstanding. Just absolutely blessed us. Uh, If you've not been a part of those Wednesday night devotionals as we started together, I would encourage you to come. Uh, One of the neat things, that I, I was visiting with Noah in the parking lot after Wednesday night class last night, Uh, last Wednesday night, and he said, I want to do that again. And I'm going to tell you, if he does, when he does, you're going to be blessed again. Uh, Just a neat young man, and he's a testimony to what our youth ministry is about and to what it's doing. Have you ever had in your life those things that, that you look at that you see that aren't really there? Some of you may be looking at the screen, and that's okay. Continue to look at the screen. If you want to just look at the right little circle over there for a while, or maybe move your eyes up and down as you look at it. Have you ever seen things that just aren't there? I know sometimes you look and you see things, and you think you saw caught something out the corner of your eye, and you turn and you look, and, it, and it, you didn't know what you were looking at. Some people, when they look at the screen, they see motion. It looks like that there's a little bit of animation. The truth of the matter is, there's no movement at all on that screen. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. Have there, have there ever been things that you were afraid of that weren't real? But you believed them so much or you believed them for so long that you began to fear them. And even it began to regulate your behavior because while it wasn't real to you, you were regulating your behavior because of fear. You were afraid of what might happen. You were afraid of what hasn't happened, but you just it, you allowed it to govern the way that you lived. You know, we imagine at times that things are happening. How many of you, when you sent your kids off to college on that drive back home, you began to imagine what if what if they get sick? What if what if they die? And then you start planning their funeral. And by the time you get home, they call you and they say, Man, it was a great day. I didn't see you once. And you thought, Now I am going to kill them. (laughs) How many times have we allowed our imagination to run away with us? So much so that it shakes our confidence. It shakes us. It shakes us. Folks, there are plenty of things to truly worry about and worries the wrong term can be concerned about plan for there are a lot of things in life that that deserve our attention they overwhelm us there are things in this life that that are real and at times we face obstacles and we face we face as children of god today we face ridicule even at times don't we Maybe our fear isn't of illness or of death or of catastrophe, but social isolation. We fear being ridiculed. We feel being persecuted. We feel when people issue harsh judgments about us. And maybe we even fear physical harm at times. There are things that are real that we're going to have to face that are obstacles that we're going to have to overcome. There's not a person in this room that hasn't faced an illness at some point in your life, even if it was just as small as the common cold. There are few people who haven't faced a major catastrophe or turning point in their life. One that just seemed to overwhelm you and you felt like, I can't take any more and this is as much as it can go. And we either shut down or we get active, one of the two. But every one of us have faced those trials and those tests inside of our lives. Even in our Christian walk, we face tests and we face trials. Julie and I know a couple that live on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines, which is the closest island to the Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world. And every Easter, either Jesse or or the Blends face physical persecution with people coming into their assembly, dragging out the minister, and beating them for a while, and then letting them go back in and have their service. We don't face that kind of persecution in our world today. Not in America. But around the world, there are some Christians that do. And in some way, Jesse and Feliciano, it's easier for them to identify persecution when you have bruises or kicks or scars on your body. But we face persecution at times that is ridicule. Harsh judgments being called, looked at as the problem in this world. If we could just get rid of those people who who, who are either homophobic or just name whatever and put "obic" at the end of it. And if we could just get rid of those people, our life and our society would be so much better. We're seen as harsh and judgmental and condemning and narrow-minded. And so consequently, sometimes we become quiet and we allow even our prayers and our faith to go silent. Because we don't want to face that kind of ridicule. And we don't, no matter how loving or how kind, we want to present our faith, we don't say anything. And we allow them to, to define who we are by their words instead of us defining who we are by our actions and our, by our consistency in the way we live, and the way that we love others. When Jesus was talking to his disciples before he left, he said, in this, I have told you these things so that in me you have, may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart.
0: I have overcome the world.
1: Too many of us are governed by fear and you know the definition that I give to fear is being controlled by what hasn't happened yet and by what may never happen fear is what is whispering inside of the Christian's ear that says you just need to stop you just need to stop keep it to yourself don't don't bother other people. You just need to stop. But before Jesus left, he gave us a mission, didn't he? And with all of us, he gave us a co-mission, a commission. And Jesus didn't say stop. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Step one, he says, I want you to go and make disciples. Have you ever thought about that word disciple and what it means? A disciple, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is a person who believes in the ideas and principles of someone and tries to live the way that person does or tries to live the way that person did. That's what a disciple is. And Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and make representatives of Jesus Christ to this world. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if that's who we're supposed to be, then when John says in 1 John 2, verses 5 through 6, this is how we know that we are in Him. Whoever claims to be, to live in Christ, must walk as Jesus did. That means doing what Jesus did, reacting the way that Jesus reacted, and acting as Jesus did. So with everything I've talked about up to this point being an introduction that I just want you to put on the shelf, and I want you to just hold it there, all of those definitions, everything that we've talked about as an introduction. I want us to turn for our text this morning to Mark chapter 4. In our passage today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that many of you are familiar with. Many of you have looked at it and thought of it as a children's story for the Bible classes upstairs. But the account that we're about to read today, I want to teach you some things that maybe you haven't seen or thought about. In this account. And I want you to look at it. And eventually I want you to take it. And I want you to lay it upon your life. And apply it to the way that you live. And to the way that you have faith in Jesus Christ. Mark records it this way. That day when evening came. Jesus said to his disciples. Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the winds died down. And it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have so
0: little faith?
1: They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? In Mark chapter 4, there's four lessons that I want us to look at, and I want you to take to heart. The first one is something that we've been taught that isn't necessarily in the Word of God. In fact, Jesus spoke against it. And it says this, Just because you're with Christ, just because you're doing what Christ Wants doesn't mean it will be without hardship. How many times have you ever believed that? If I do what Jesus wants, life will get better. Let me tell you, folks, if you do what Jesus wants, yes, life will get better, but it doesn't mean that there won't be trials, there won't be struggles, there won't be storms. Just because you're doing what Christ calls you to do doesn't mean life will be easy. Was Paul doing what Christ called for him to do when he called him on the road to Damascus? Was was Paul doing what Christ wanted him to do when Paul went through a shipwreck? Was nearly starved to death, was thrown in prison, was beat... But yet, we tend to think, if I do what Christ wants me to do, my bank account will get better, my health will get better, my relationships will get better, everything will take care of and my kids will be perfect and call me blessed. I'm going to tell you, that's not biblical. That's not what it says. In fact, remember what we just talked about, about what Christ said. Christ says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble.
0: But take heart. It's okay. I've overcome the world. In this world you'll have trouble, but it's okay. I'm bigger than your trouble. I'm bigger than your trouble.
1: Here's the thing that gets us in this account in Mark. Christ is the one who put them in the boat. He said, let's go to the other side. Jesus is the one who put them in the very boat that they were going to be in when the storm came. He's the one that set their direction. He's the one that told them where to go. Not just these, but the others also. And let's go. And what does Jesus do? You know, I grew up in West Texas. And when I would hear this story... Uh, my teacher out to Plymouth, she would take, a, we had a little bar of dove soap. And she'd put a little sail on it, and we would go, and, and then we would all blow the water on. And when we would come back into church after Bible class, we were all wet because we always blew the water well enough that everybody got a little sprinkled a little bit. But I always imagined this boat like a little Johnny boat that the fishermen in the little ponds or tanks would have. That's not this boat. It's also not a huge ship either. It's a boat a little about from here to that little love seat right over there, about that length, and right in the middle is the mast. But up on top, there are two decks. There's a deck on this side of the mast, a deck on that side of the mast, with a hole in the middle that they would throw their nets underneath it. I always wondered, how is Jesus sleeping through this? How's he sleeping through it? He's on one of those nets. He's on a cushion. Soft place is what the word means. He's on a soft place underneath this deck here, sleeping in the back of the boat. The storm's coming up. It's raining, thunder and lightning, and all Jesus has is God rocking him to sleep. And he's asleep. And these men are doing what? They're up there struggling against the storm. They're struggling against the storm. Them and their friends are all up here struggling against the storm. When Israel was in the wilderness. When Israel was in the wilderness, they had tests and trials, didn't they?
0: They're in there and they they, they just start complaining. They start complaining.
1: We need food. And so, what does God do? He sends manna. And then they start eating the manna, and they eat the manna, and they eat the manna, and they eat the manna, and then they come back and they say, We want something besides manna. We've had it boiled, we've had it fried, we've had it however they can cook it, we've had it raw. My wife even gave it to me burnt. We've had manna. We want something else. And so Moses goes and he talks to God. He says, God, these people are complaining and they're coming to me and they're complaining and they're griping and they're griping and they're griping and and they come to me. They want meat, but I don't know how you can do it. And Moses begins to go on. And God basically says to Moses, is my hand so short that I can't take care of this? And so God sends quail. It's about from, from the ground to about three feet high. It goes and it covers and it piles up that deep all over the camp. And it says they ate so much quail that it was coming out their nostrils. God was trying to teach the children of Israel something. Not only don't complain, don't gripe, but he's also teaching them this. I can take care of you. When you don't see any way out, I can send manna. I can send quail. I can even bring water out of a rock in a wilderness where there is no water. I can take care of you. How many of you have ever been in a storm? And the truth of the matter is, if you've lived very long, every one of us have been in a storm of life, haven't we? Where all we could do was fall on our knees and we just said, Father, I need your help. 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 And what I've learned in my life is this. Oftentimes, what we call a detour. I was headed this way, and all of a sudden things happened, and we had to go over here, and it had to go this way and this way, and we talk about it as if it's a crisis. Have you ever noticed that God's detours are often His training tool for our life? What we call a detour could be God's plan for training us before Israel ever went into the promised land, before they ever faced Jericho. What did God teach the children of Israel? I can take care of you. It's not up to you. I can feed you. I can give you water. Your clothes don't wear out. Your shoes don't get holes in them you have everything you need because I can take care of you. And so when it came time to conquer Jericho, what did God ask them to do? Only what he had trained them to do. You guys have been walking around for 40 years. Let's walk around a little more. And I will give you a victory. In this you greatly rejoice. Though for a little while you may have to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When you... Face the storms of life. When you have been obedient to God and you still face the storms of life,
0: trust God.
1: Trust God. Satan wants to whisper to you just like some of Job's friends whispered to him. The reason you're facing this hard time is because you're unjust. No, there are consequences that come from sin. But when you have been faithful to God, you have been faithful to covenant, you have been faithful to fellowship, and you still face difficulties and hard times, trust God.
0: Trust God trust god
1: the second lesson in this passage for us is this not only just because just because you don't just because you do what Christ what man I can't even read this just I can't read that I'll try to read this just because you do what Christ wants doesn't mean it will be without harm or hardship Number two, just because you are with others doesn't mean it will be easy. I'd never really noticed much before, but did you notice in the reading of the passage? Their friends are with them. They're not a lone boat out there all by themselves. This indicates that the 120 are with them. There's this whole group that's with them. There's this whole group that's with them, and we try to, we look at it and go, well, you know, if my boys, if everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it. We would ask them that question, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off? And they said, you bet we would. That was my boys, and they would have, because everybody else did it. We look at the Christian fellowship, and we say, if we're all going this way, then I'm going to go, and I can do it, because if I do it with them, it'll be so much easier, There is a benefit in being with the body. Don't misunderstand. We can hold each other up and we can hold on to one another. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because when the true trials come, when the true trials come, there's still only one who can rescue us. And the Lord knows Let me go back. I'm missing a slide here. 2 Peter 2, verse 9, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. There we go. Thank you. In fact, not only does the Lord know how to rescue us, the Lord knows the trials we're in. He sees what we're going through. There's a, in Genesis 16, one of the names of God is revealed to us. And his name is El Roy. Not Elroy, but El Roy. And El Roy means the God who sees me. The God who sees. Have you ever thought that there was a time that God didn't know what was happening. God didn't see. God didn't hear. God didn't know what was inside of you. El Roy knows because he not only sees us, but he is able to rescue us from whatever trial we're in. I've known people that were afraid to pray to God about the struggles that they were in or about the times that they were having or even about the sin that they had committed because they didn't. They were going... I, God doesn't, he doesn't know. God doesn't know. Folks, there's not a single time that you've ever prayed to God that God would, (gasps) I didn't know that. I always chuckle when people give room numbers of hospitals that people are in, as if God doesn't know unless we tell him or he reads the bulletin. God knows. God knows better than we do. And he is able to rescue us. The message translates 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 this way. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Now listen to this part. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. And He'll always be there to help you come through it. I love that translation of that passage. And again, the the reminder of God's power when he's talking to Noah and he says, the Lord's arm is not too short. There's nothing that you face that God isn't greater than. So trust God. So trust God. So at this point in the lesson, you should be saying, how do I do
0: that? How do I do that? Julie and I have faced
1: trials all of the way through our life. Some of them things, situations that we created ourselves, others that were cast upon us. When you get the call that says, in one week, your father has a form of MS that will take his life within three years. And your mom has non-Hotkins, and I received that news on Tuesday, and on Friday we received the news. Your mom has non-Hotkins lymphoma, and the tumors are so great that her time won't be long. How do you withstand those tests of life that you have? How do you do it when the test of life comes and you get the word that one of your teenagers in your youth group has been shot and killed accidentally by another one of the teenagers in your youth group? How do you withstand that test? Or while one of your teenagers was selling a gun with both sets of parents inside of the room, he accidentally turned and shot the top of his head off. How do you withstand those tests that come in your life in trials? When one of the first funerals that you perform is a funeral of a nine year old girl that was run over by an AMPI milk truck. And you have to go and sit with the family, and Julie and I even spent the night with them. How do you withstand those tests when they come inside of your life? How do you withstand it when your wife is having her second or third miscarriage and you're just asking the question, God, why? How do you withstand those tests of life?
0: Because I'm going to tell you, folks, the
1: storms are coming. And if you don't prepare for them now, how are you going to stand up against them when they come? The last time to open up the book and try to find the answer is when the storm is there. When Jesus faced his great test, 40 days in the wilderness, and it says, and he was tempted, all of them. We just have three of the test. When Jesus faced the test, what did he do? He pulled out the word of God that he had stored up in his heart already. He already had a plan of action for the test that were going to come. How are you going to face the
0: test? So what do we do?
1: What is it that we're supposed to do? Well, I want you to know Christ already knows what you're going through. And he calls you to be his disciple. So the answer is this. Trust in God and follow Christ's example. Shelton wrote a book many years ago called In His Steps. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should always be willing to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And that book that was written in the late 1800s it still has the answer for us today. Ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Not only what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And what we see is that Jesus trusted in the one who had power over the storm. And he trusted in God enough to rest in him. You know how I wish Mark 4 read? And a great storm arose. And the disciples looked around and they saw Jesus sleeping. And so they went up and curled down beside him.
0: So they curled up beside him.
1: There's a testimony in that for you and I, isn't there? How many of you believe that God needs you to get his will done? I have news for you. He
0: wants you. Because of the blessing you receive,
1: that God is able God is able. Our challenge is to join Him. Our job is not to keep His promises, because if we don't keep His promises, God's a liar. Folks, what God says will happen will always happen. My challenge is, I'm going to join Him in what He's doing. I'm going to join Him in what He's doing. I'm going to look and see and follow His example. I'm going to join Him in what He's doing. When Jesus saw sinners, what did he do? He had compassion on them. When Jesus saw the self righteous, what did he do? Man, he was tough on them. He never let people become complacent in their own self righteousness. He he rode those guys, didn't he? Your whitewashed tombs, your dead men walking. You're of no good. You have no value. I'm going to tell you in the walk that I'm on right now, there are some who are so self-righteous that I look at them and I go, I want absolutely nothing to do with your faith because it will not survive the storm. Period. Period. But those who are humble and broken and come to Christ and want to stick so closely to Him that they want to act like Him, talk like Him, and love like Him, those are the people that I want to get right next to and hang on to. Because I want to follow Jesus Christ and I want to be His disciple. And when the storms of life come, you know what it means? It means to sit down and say, God, I can't. You can. I'm going to let you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you won't let me be overwhelmed, overrun, and overcome. I want to trust you in such a way that people see it's your glory and your power. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's you. And when that happens, and Jesus finally wakes up and he looks out over the storm and he says, Peace, be still. Can you imagine what they saw? Have you ever been in a huge storm? It would be like being in the midst of a tornado and all of a sudden it just goes, whew. And there's silence and the clouds part. And the sun shines. They're in the storm and the waves are coming over the side of the boat and the lightning is striking and the rain is coming and the loud sounds and all of their fears, all of those things that they were afraid could happen. All of a sudden, Jesus just goes, that's enough. And it goes, whew. And now they're on this
0: lake that is as calm as glass. I've never seen that. But my heart has felt it.
1: There were times I walked into prayer in turmoil and because I entrusted it to Him. And I trusted Him more than I trusted me. I was able to walk out with a peace that the world doesn't understand. The psalmist puts it this way. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. This morning, I want to challenge you to trust God. Even when you're looking at things that aren't really there, and you're afraid of things that might come, trust God. If you have a hard time remembering that, just think of our little frog. And learn what it means to fully rely on God. I trust you. I'm going to finish this lesson next week. Because right now it all sounds like good theory, doesn't it? It's good religious theory. It's what preachers are supposed to say. Next week I want to show you what it looks like in the life of Paul. One particular instance. When you and I would have been falling apart, Paul decides today's the day to trust God. And everything changed. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and if you'd like to respond, we invite you as we stand and as we sing.